Attention! This makes absolutely no sense. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Sanders Facts. Oh my gosh, hey y'all, what is going on? Welcome into the latest edition of the Xander's Facts Podcast. I am, of course, the aforementioned Xander. It is episode 52 of the podcast here on Wednesday, February 2nd, 2022, which is actually 02-02-2022. So that's pretty cool. And it's also Groundhog Day, so that's also cool, I guess. And it's also the day that the Washington football team is announcing their new name which I don't know it yet recording this podcast. So I'll probably have my reactions for you next week, but I swear if it's Commanders, I'm not going to be very happy. But that's not the reason why I'm yelling. The reason I am excited this week is because it is the official one-year anniversary of the Xander's Facts Podcast. We did it! One year! Facts Podcast. Calm down, bro. It's incredible. Thank you all for listening to episode 52, episode 51, episode 50, all the episodes. Back to episode one. It has been one year, and we have done the Xander's Facts Podcast every week for a year except for one, and it has been incredible. And this week, we got some big news to break for Xander's Facts. We're going to talk about that. We got a ton of stuff to talk about this week, but remember, if you like the Xander's Facts podcast, if you want to support the Xander's Facts podcast, if you think you're going to like the facts, even if you've never heard the facts before, go follow this podcast, download this episode, episode 52, rate the podcast, review the podcast, then go on all your socials, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Xander's Facts podcast, that's Xander with a Z, and most importantly, tell all your friends it is the one-year anniversary of the Xander's Facts podcast. We call it spreading the facts. We've got a big podcast this week. We've got a ton of stuff to talk about. We've got Virginia. Virginia has a new governor, and they're doing stuff. Uh-oh. And it might not be very good stuff, but we're going to talk about it on this podcast. We've also got the Supreme Court. Supreme Court announcement. There's a big announcement last week. We're going to talk about that. The NFL, football, had their conference championship games last weekend. Plus, there's a little bit of news off the field. We're going to talk about that. All that stuff on this podcast. But first what you all have been waiting for. I got two big announcements for the Xander's Facts podcast about the Xander's Facts podcast. We're going to start the podcast off with these big announcements. We're not going to have you waiting any longer. Let's start off. We've got two big announcements. On the one-year anniversary of the Xander's Facts podcast, I've got two big announcements. Number one. Here we go. Are you all ready? Xander's Facts is heading to... YouTube. Huh. Xander's Facts starting this week with this episode of the podcast. The podcast is now going to be available to listen on YouTube on the Xander's Facts podcast channel. Go check it out. We're going to post all our future episodes on there. And while you listen, you can look at this very nice background that we have going on. So you can now listen to the facts on YouTube beginning with this episode and all Xander's Facts episodes will be releasing on YouTube on the afternoon that they come out. So the podcast comes out in the morning. The video on YouTube will come out in the afternoon. So there you go. That's cool. That's the first big announcement. Everybody's like, oh my gosh, I can go watch Xander's Facts on YouTube with a nice background to listen to it. Oh my gosh. It's going to be incredible. So that's the first one. Number two is even bigger because it is an expansion of the Xander's Facts brand. Okay, get ready, everybody. Because Xander's Facts is officially expanding. We've only been doing the podcast for now. But today, Xander, myself, I am announcing that 
Xander's Facts is adding a weekly newsletter introducing Xander's Weekend Facts. That was the worst thing I ever heard. We are launching a Xander's Facts newsletter. It's going to come out every Sunday morning. It's basically going to be Xander's Facts, but in print form, because we only do the podcast once a week. And a week's pretty long, and a lot of news goes by in that week. And I miss a lot of stuff on the podcast. So, we're launching Xander's Weekend Facts every Sunday morning it's going to come out. And it's kind of going to be Xander's Facts podcast, but Xander's Facts newsletter, I guess. Basically, it's just going to be everything Xander finds interesting. He's going to link it. He's going to give descriptions. You're going to see it. You're going to be like, oh my gosh. So you could be informed just like Xander. Xander's going to give you the facts in print form. Xander's Weekend Facts. So now you're wondering, how can you get this newsletter? Well, if you click the link in this episode's description, there's three links on there. It's the first link. It's a special link that you have to listen to the podcast to. Y'all are wondering what that link is. Go click it. You can enter your email and Xander's Weekend Facts every Sunday morning will go straight to your inbox so you can read. How about that? A sure thing. So go click that link to sign up for Xander's Weekend Facts. You can get it in your email inbox every Sunday morning. And we are launching Xander's Weekend Facts, not this Sunday, but the next Sunday, Sunday, February 13th, which is also Super Bowl Sunday. That is when Xander's Weekend Facts is launching. And I'm super excited about it. Xander's Weekend Facts. Yep. If you haven't heard it enough, that is coming Sunday, February 13th. Sign up. Get in your inbox right now. So there you go. Two big announcements for the Xander's Facts podcast. Xander's Facts is going to be on YouTube starting this week. And we've got Xander's Weekend Facts, a weekly newsletter that is starting on the 13th of February. Get it in your inbox. Sign up for that link. And you can also find the YouTube channel by going on YouTube, searching Xander's Facts. That's it with a Z. Or going to the Linktree link that is linked in this episode's description. That's linktr.ee slash Xander's Facts. And finding the YouTube link that is on the Linktree. So there you go. Two big announcements for the Xander's Facts podcast. It is exciting. I'm excited. I know. That is how we are celebrating the one-year anniversary of the Xander's Facts podcast. How about it? You're welcome. So, with all that out of the way, let's get to the big stuff for this podcast. Episode 52. We have got a ton of stuff to talk about. We've got the Supreme Court. We've got football. But first, we are talking Virginia. And if you don't live in Virginia, you might not care about what I'm about to ramble about for the next half hour. But you probably should. Because What I'm about to explain to you all is what happens when you elect Republicans to lead your state. Ew. As has been the case in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Because if you didn't know, if you haven't been listening to the podcast, there is a new governor in Virginia, and things are happening. Not necessarily good things, just things. Which we are going to talk about because it has been officially two and a half weeks since Governor Glenjamin took office along with the Lieutenant Governor Winsome Sears and the Attorney General Jason Meares in Virginia. And they were elected back in November by pretty slim margins. Glenjamin and Sears won by less than two points. Meares won by less than a point. Nevertheless, they were the first Republicans to win statewide in Virginia since 2009. That was a fact. So why did they win? Well, basically two reasons. Because they pushed culture war garbage, like critical race theory, which has not, and is not, being taught 
in Virginia's public schools. And on the other side was Terry McAuliffe, who ran a absolutely pitiful campaign capped off when he said in a debate that parents should not have a say in what students should be taught in schools, which despite your stance on the matter, he should not have said if he wanted to get elected in Virginia. It was not a mandate by any means, which led many to believe that in a mostly blue state, that Glenjamin and co. would probably govern pretty moderately to appease a bunch of the Biden voters who switched over in a state that Biden won by 10 points. So far, that has not been the case, because Virginia continues to make national news day after day with all the stuff that Glennie and his buds are trying to do. So what are some of those things? Well, let's take a look. Xander has compiled a list of what Republicans in Virginia are trying to do and have implemented in the last few weeks. Let's begin with the executive orders that Governor Glenjamin signed on his first day in office, which was Saturday, January 15th. The first executive order, you'll like this, prohibited the teaching of inherently divisive concepts like critical race theory. Even though, as you know, because Xander told you and you're not an idiot, critical race theory is not being taught and has not ever been taught in Virginia schools. So that was basically a waste of government resources and paper. Others included rescinding a statewide mask mandate for public schools. Despite that, over half of the school districts in Virginia announced that they will keep their mask mandates, and then seven school districts announced that they would sue Glenny because he rescinded mask mandates. Fairfax County, Prince William County, Alexandria, Arlington, Falls Church Cities, all those are in Northern Virginia, Hampton City, and Richmond City announced that they would sue Glenny. In addition, a group of parents in Chesapeake had filed a lawsuit against rescinding the mandate, as did the ACLU of Virginia. So, Yunkin's order directly contradicts State Senate Bill 1303, which was passed in Virginia last year with bipartisan support, I might add, which states that school districts should, quote, provide such in-person instruction in a manner in which it adheres to the maximum extent practicable to any currently applicable mitigation strategies for early childhood care and education programs and elementary and secondary schools to reduce the transmission of COVID-19 that have been provided by the Federal Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, unquote. So basically, the law that was signed last year requires school districts in Virginia to adhere to CDC guidelines in order to maintain in-person schooling. CDC recommendations and guidelines right now suggest you should be wearing a mask. So technically, Glenjamin's executive order contradicts and possibly violates a state law. Whoops. So that's why he's getting sued. So it remains to be seen whether the mask mandates are going to be able to continue for now, even though Glenjamin's saying that the mask mandate is probably going to be struck down. He's very confident, even though we'll see, because it is up to the state courts. Of course, it's pretty sad that wearing a mask is politicized because they actually help prevent you and others around you from getting COVID, which you would know because you listen to this podcast and we've talked about it numerous times on this podcast. But, you know, freedoms! America! And another note, Glenjamin sends his kids to a private school in Maryland, by the way, that has a mask mandate. So take with that what you will. 
And Glenjamin's other executive orders included terminating the current Virginia Parole Board, which has been mired in controversy, establishing a commission to combat anti-Semitism, and rescinding a COVID vaccine mandate for state employees. Even though Glenjamin has gotten the vaccine and has told people to get the vaccine, he says rescinding the mandate is to ensure healthcare privacy. Even though that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Because we should be actively promoting people getting the vaccine. Because if you take a look at the vaccine rates for the U.S. compared to other developed countries, the other developed countries are going, woo, 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 all the way to the top. The U.S. is stagnant because there's a bunch of dummies who won't get the vaccine. Probably because they're not listening to Xander Sex Podcast, even though they should be. Xander warned you. Because, of course, you know, the way we can end the pandemic is by getting everyone vaccinated. And getting rid of mandates discourages people, some people, from getting vaccinated, which is not good. Of course, all the wild and crazy misinformation craziness on the right and on the internet that's going on right now is making sure that a bunch of people don't get vaccinated because they believe Bill Gates is going to track you or you're going to die of 5G craziness or whatever. So Glenjamin wants to protect all the crazies who won't get vaccinated because, of course, they voted for him. But that's all just the beginning of what's going on. Those are just the executive orders. The new attorney general has been busy as well. Jason Miyaris, who promoted legislation in the General Assembly that would expand the attorney general's powers to prosecute crimes. The bill would allow for the attorney general to start a prosecution of violent crimes at the request of a police chief or sheriff, which would allow the attorney general to start a prosecution without the consent of locally elected Commonwealth's attorneys. That bill died in the democratically controlled state Senate, but it is still alive in the Republican-controlled state House. Miyaris also exited Virginia out of a multi-state coalition of attorneys general that backed the EPA's authority to regulate greenhouse gas emissions from power plants saying that the case would hurt coal jobs in Southwest Virginia. Oh no, because of course we should protect coal jobs at all costs because you know coal is never going away, right? You're a liar! Because of course it would be silly and foolish to transition all those jobs from coal and non-renewable resources to clean and renewable energy resources like wind farms, solar farms, geothermal power plants, hydropower plants, any of that stuff, which we've talked about on this podcast. But, you know, gotta protect the coal jobs. I mean, look how good that's turned out for West Virginia. Yikes! The poorest state in the country, by the way, which is also on the other side of that EPA case, which is going to the Supreme Court. Miaris also issued a legal opinion last week, his opinion, that Virginia state universities cannot require the COVID-19 vaccine for students. So, now Virginia state universities have dropped their COVID-19 vaccine requirements. And he says that the General Assembly needs to pass a law that allows universities to require the COVID vaccine, such as six other vaccines that are already required. This is in contrast, however, to the previous Attorney General Mark Herring's opinion that universities have the authority to implement a COVID vaccine mandate. But don't worry, guys, because Miara said that he's a proponent of vaccines. And he is also not concerned about the virus spreading rapidly on college campuses if there is not a vaccine mandate because, quote, the communities that are most impacted by COVID-19 are seniors and those who have pre-existing conditions, unquote. You dummy. Well, I guess Jason might not know this, but college-age students are typically not the only individuals who are on college campuses and that those students tend to go off campuses into those high-risk communities. 
So once again, why are we discouraging people from getting the vaccine? Because I can probably assure you there are students who go to universities in Virginia who probably would not have gotten the COVID vaccine if it was not mandated by their university. You hate to see it. And Virginia's universities are basically saying they can't do anything about it because the new administration would probably threaten to withhold state funds if they went ahead with their vaccine mandates, which apparently is perfectly fine. But, you know, my freedoms! Gotta protect those. And Miyaris additionally said recently that masks have been creating a mental health crisis among school-age kids. Of course, he said this on Fox News. Because, you know, out of all the things that are going on in the world right now, masks are really setting kids over the edge. I don't think so. I mean, really? I seriously doubt being in public schools myself recently that that is not true. And then Mioris fired the top councils at the University of Virginia and George Mason University, and the top counsel at UVA was on leave from the university as he is a top investigator for the U.S. House panel investigating the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol. So... There you go. It's also rare in Virginia and any other state for a state attorney general to fire the top lawyer at a public university. So, you know, academic freedoms. There you go, I guess. But, you know, he was also working on the terrible insurrection committee who's trying to destroy our great Donnie boy. How could they? These are not Sandra's facts. So, you know, there's all that. That's the attorney general. So with all that... Now let's get to the General Assembly, because Republicans retook control of the State House of Delegates in November. However, Democrats, this is key, Democrats hold a one-seat majority in the State Senate. So, in the General Assembly right now, Republicans are currently taking a look at a bunch of stuff, including marijuana. Cool facts, bro! Virginia Democrats decriminalized and then legalized marijuana possession in Virginia, and Republicans are currently looking at those bills from two years ago. However... Glenjamin and Republicans have said that they will not attempt to repeal personal possession, and instead, Republicans are looking at how to set up the commercial market with retail sales set to begin in 2024. There's a bunch of bills looking at that. There's also a bill in the state Senate that would ban public schools and universities from acquiring masks, sponsored by none other than the glorious Trump and Heels Amanda Chase. However, it is not expected to pass because Democrats hold the majority in the chamber. House Republicans also blocked a bill that would make it illegal for police to forge documents to use in interrogations. That bill was introduced by Democrats after it was revealed that in at least five police interrogations in Virginia Beach, police had shown suspects fake DNA reports on Virginia Department of Forensic Science letterhead. What? The Senate did vote, however, to require police to tell drivers why they were pulled over before they request the driver's license and registration. However, that bill is expected to die in the House because Republicans unanimously opposed the bill in the Senate. Huh. And then Democrats in the Senate voted down a bill that would have required school boards to develop policies on the selection and evaluation of materials in school libraries and required parental permission before any student could check out a book involving parental consent. Before it was amended, however, that bill would have also required school libraries to remove books that could be considered, quote, grooming materials, quote, because, you know, cancel culture is very bad when it's against 
Republicans. But, you know, we should try to ban some books. And it's also interesting how they're trying to ban books from the classroom before they're trying to ban guns from the classroom. Because today, the day I'm recording this podcast, there was a shooting at Bridgewater College in Virginia that left two law enforcement officers dead. But, you know, we gotta get all the books out from the classrooms because... And the masks, because those are the things that are causing the mental health crises in the kids. It's not the daily reminders of school shootings and the school shooting drills that we have to do. It's the masks and the books. Those are the issues in the classroom, apparently. According to one party. Disgusting! So there's that. There's also a bill that's likely to pass both houses that would require, once again, school principals to report many misdemeanor-level offenses to law enforcement after a 2020 law made it an option to report certain incidents on school property. That bill came after Virginia was ranked in 2015 as the worst state in the nation when it came to student referrals to law enforcement, often for low-level offenses that disproportionately affect students of color. So, maybe... That's not the solution to the problem. Republicans also want to require police in every public school in the state. In regards to voting rights, the Senate blocked a bill that would make photo IDs mandatory for in-person voting. Other bills in the General Assembly would shorten the early voting window from 45 days before an election, would require voters to give an excuse of why they should be allowed to vote absentee, would repeal the state's permanent absentee voting list, which lets people receive ballots by mail in every election and not have to make a separate request for each election, and would also ban ballot drop boxes. All of those bills are expected to fail in the democratically controlled Senate. There are also, however, bipartisanship. Yay! Bipartisan bills that would punish gasoline-powered cars for parking in parking spots with electric vehicle charging stations, a bill that would require companies that allow customers to subscribe to services online to also unsubscribe online, and an anti-hazing bill that would educate students and university officials on the realities of hazing after a VCU freshman died of hazing last year. And finally, Democrats are attempting to block Glenjamin's nomination for the Secretary of Natural Resources, whose name is Andrew Wheeler. You might know that name, because Wheeler is a former coal lobbyist who served as the head of the EPA under Donnie Boy, a time when the EPA dismantled numerous pollution rules and other clean air and water safeguards to the benefit of extractive industries that Wheeler was once a lobbyist for. And Wheeler also downplayed the threat of climate change and sidelined scientific advisory committees while he was the head of the EPA. And the AFGE Council 238, which represents over 7,500 EPA employees across the country, sent a letter to the Virginia Senate writing that Wheeler, quote, destroyed or weakened dozens of environmental safeguards at the EPA with the sole intention of bolstering polluting industries' profit margins, unquote. Democrats have sent all of Glenjamin's nominees to the floor in the Senate for a vote, except for Wheeler. And even if he is not confirmed, Glennie could probably still place him in an appointed position in the administration, which doesn't require Senate approval. So there's also that. Why would you do this to me? And Glenjamin finally also announced that he would add $3.5 billion in budget amendments to the budget that was left by the former governor, Ralph Northam. The only problem with that is that he came up with no ways to pay for them, and state governments cannot run a deficit. So, there you have it. Fact! So, after all that stuff that I just went on about, 
Would you consider a bunch of that stuff moderate? I would say no. Crazy right-wing nutty stuff? You betcha. But hey, at least there's no more critical race theory, right guys? Critical race theory is gone! Oh my gosh, we're saved! Evil! Of course, you know, the only issue is that there was no critical race theory in the first place. So, it was a lie. And all of this is basically just to be said that Virginia should be a warning sign to states across the country that this is what will happen when you elect Republicans right now. Not to mention there are several Republican members of the General Assembly, Amanda Chase, who probably still believe that Donnie Boy won the 2020 election, even though you all know he did not. This is not a both sides issue, too, because I'm pretty sure Democrats did not go all wacko mode and storm the Virginia State Capitol to stop Yunkin from being inaugurated. No, that was Republicans who tried to stop a Democrat from being president. That was an insurrection, as they basically did what their leader instructed them to do. We're going to go down, march to the Capitol. So basically, the only thing that is stopping Virginia right now from being full-on right-wing craziness hell like Texas and Florida is a one-seat majority in the state Senate for Democrats. Good to know. Basically. That just goes to show why this year's midterms are so important, not just at the federal level, but at the state and local levels. When you see all the legislation that's being passed in Georgia, in Florida, in Texas, in other Republican states, that is trying to ban books from the classroom. In Tennessee, they're trying to do that. That is trying to take voting rights back to the Jim Crow days, which is wasting their time banning something that's not being taught in public schools like this is the main issues for republicans right now and like it doesn't even make any sense so you know there you go now everyone in virginia knows what glenjamin's up to because a lot of people thought oh he's a nice moderate guy he's just a sweater wearing vest nice guy he won't do anything crazy even though he's doing some pretty crazy stuff the Attorney General is doing some pretty crazy stuff, and apparently we're going to have to put up with this for four years, all because a bunch of people were lied to about critical race theory being taught to their kids. Apparently. So, please save us, because this is not going to end well. And that's my little rant on Virginia politics for today. Thanks goodness that's over. But before we get to our football discussion on the one-year anniversary edition of the Zaner's Facts Podcast, I know it's incredible. We get it! We are talking about the Supreme Court. Because last week, there was a Supreme decision that came out of the Supreme Court. How about that transition? Major news came out of the Supreme Court last week when it was announced that Justice Stephen Breyer would be stepping down from the High Court after serving for 27 years. The news was reported last Wednesday, and Breyer officially announced the news at the White House on Thursday. At 83 years old, Breyer is the eldest of nine Supreme Court justices and is one of the court's three liberal justices. Ever since President Biden had been inaugurated, there had been calls on the left for Breyer to step down so Biden could replace him with a younger liberal justice. However, Breyer had publicly resisted those calls for quite some time until the news came unexpectedly last week. So this situation appears similar to what happened in the summer of 2018. 
Justice Anthony Kennedy retired before the 2018 midterms, which allowed then-President Donnie Boy to nominate someone who likes beer, Brett Kavanaugh, to the Supreme Court, that whole crazy mess. But Donnie Boy might have done a little more pressuring than Biden did, however, because Biden rejected calls publicly to call for Breyer to step down, much to the dismay of the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. But it turns out that was kind of the right call because Democrats were on edge after Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away in the summer of 2020, which led to Donnie Boy appointing Handmaid's Tale girl Amy Coney Barrett to the court just weeks before the presidential election, with Senate Republicans allowing it to go through after many, namely Mitch McConnell, Lindsey Graham, Chuck Grassley, said after a 2016 vacancy that a justice should not be appointed in a presidential election year. Oh, but wait, when it's a Republican appointing a justice in a presidential election year, it's totally fine! This makes absolutely no sense! You know, they definitely changed their tune there. And adding to the fact, Mr. McTurtle McConnell has declared that a Republican-led Senate would not allow any democratically appointed justices to be confirmed. No matter the time! So, you know, both sides are apparently terrible. So anyway, they didn't want the same thing to happen to Justice Breyer, and now... He is retiring, which is allowing President Biden to nominate his first Supreme Court justice. So what does this mean for the future of the court? Well, not much right now, because while Biden is certainly to nominate a liberal justice, it won't have an impact on the court's current ideological makeup. The court's still going to have a 6-3 conservative majority, which doesn't make any sense, considering 6 out of 9 Americans are not conservative, which is why we need to expand or revamp the court or whatever, but we can talk about that another day. Spitting the truth. Biden is also expected to nominate a black woman, which would make the first black woman Supreme Court justice. Biden announced that during a primary debate during the 2020 election that if given the opportunity, he would nominate a black woman to the Supreme Court. In fact, it's how he gained the support of South Carolina Congressman James Clyburn, whose endorsement was crucial for Biden to win the South Carolina primary and revive his presidential campaign in the Democratic primary. So it would kind of make sense for him to follow through on this campaign promise since it's the one that basically jolted him to the presidency. And all signs appear that he's going to follow through as well, despite opposition from Senate Republicans. Oh, how about that? Such as Texas Senator... Rafael Edward Cruz, also known as Ted, who called it quote-unquote offensive to say Biden would nominate a black woman, and then the other day put on Twitter that he should nominate Candace Owens, even though Candace Owens does not have a college degree. Sorry, not sorry. And is also a crazy nutjob grifter. And Mississippi Senator Roger Wicker, who said Biden's pick would be the beneficiary of affirmative action. There you go. So who are the likely candidates? Well, first off, a bunch of names have been thrown out into the wild, into the crazy internet realm, and I can pretty much eliminate a bunch for you right now. It's not going to be Barack Obama. It's not going to be Hillary Clinton. It's not going to be Kamala Harris. It's not going to be Michelle Obama. Even though, if one of those were nominated, the Republican meltdown to any of those would be absolutely epic and hilarious, it's not going to happen. So let's take a look at some of the actual legitimate candidates for who Biden's going to nominate. There are right now three current judges who appear to be standing out. 
First, it's Judge J. Michelle Childs, who sits on the U.S. District Court for the District of South Carolina. She has been promoted by Congressman James Clyburn and is currently nominated for the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. And something interesting, South Carolina Republican Senator Lindsey Graham went on CBS on Sunday and praised Childs, calling her, quote, qualified by every measure, unquote, and, quote, one of the most decent people I've ever met, unquote. Does that mean he'll vote for her? We'll see. Police! Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson sits on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit and was on President Obama's shortlist for a Supreme Court nominee back in 2016. And Justice Leandra Kruger currently sits on the California Supreme Court and is a former Deputy Solicitor General. So from all the indications so far, those are the three that appear to be separating themselves from the pack. But other names on a potential shortlist include the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals Judge Holly A. Thomas, District Judge Wilhelmina Mimi Wright, Second Circuit Judge Eunice Lee, and Civil Rights Attorney Sherilyn Eiffel. So those are a bunch of the names you're probably going to be hearing over the next month or two. So can Republicans do anything about it? Not really, because they don't have control of the Senate, and it appears that some Republicans are probably going to be willing to vote to confirm Biden's nominee as well, depending on who she is. So be on the lookout for this news, because President Biden is expected to name his pick in the next month or two, with the process expected to be wrapped up by the summer. So all that's very interesting stuff. And that's our politics for this week. But episode 52 of the podcast is not done because we have got sports coming up, namely football, because the conference championship games were last weekend. They were pretty good. We're going to talk about them. There was some other off-the-field stuff going on in the NFL. We'll talk about that. We're not going to talk about soccer, though, like we did last week, because the U.S. (sighs) The U.S. lost to Canada. 2-0. Man, that was rough. It was utterly garbage. They did not play well at all for a big game in CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. It was a mess. It was, ugh. It just left my Sunday a giant mess, hole in my heart. It was terrible. Quit whining. But they can still try to redeem themselves because the U.S. plays Honduras on Wednesday night this week. If you're listening to the podcast on Wednesday, tune in on Wednesday night. But that's not, we're not talking about soccer. We're talking about football coming up right here as the Zaders Facts Podcast continues. Zaders Facts. Zaders Facts Podcast. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you all for listening to episode 52, one year anniversary of the facts. Let's wrap up this big episode talking about some football. Because the conference championships in the Professional Football League in the United States of America occurred last weekend. And of course, it was another great round of games. Just like the divisional round we had two weekends ago. Produced four great games. We got two great games this weekend. So let's take a look back at what transpired this weekend. First up, it was the AFC Championship game between the Bengals and the Chiefs. Chiefs are trying to go to their third straight Super Bowl. Whoa. It looked like, though, the game might have been over early. The Chiefs had a 21-3 lead in the second quarter before the Bengals scored 18 unanswered to tie the game at the end of the third quarter. 21-all. Surprise, surprise. It was Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow again. 
He threw touchdowns to Samaj P. Ryan, the running back, and Jamar Chase, and finished the day with 250 passing yards. A fourth quarter field goal gave the Bengals their first lead of the game with six minutes left, 24 to 21. However, they gave the ball back to Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes. But unlike what happened against the Bills last week, the Chiefs offense played relatively conservative in the final few minutes. They got a bunch of short yardage plays, which kept the ball rolling, kept them moving down the field, and they were in the red zone in the final two minutes when the Bengals' defense finally proved stout because they stopped the Chiefs and actually almost ended the game when Mahomes lost the ball. A Chiefs offensive lineman recovered it, but their kicker, Harrison Bucker, got a 44-yard field goal to send the game to overtime. The Chiefs' second straight overtime game, you all remember, last week's game against the Bills. What are you talking about? And just like last week, everyone thought the coin toss would be crucial because everyone thought the team that got the coin toss would win the game. Last week, Kansas City got the coin toss, they won the game. Well, this week, Kansas City also got the coin toss. So everybody's like, oh my gosh, Kansas City's going to win the game, including me. Xander said that that was going to happen. However, that did not happen. Because Mahomes nearly threw a pick on the second play of overtime, and then on the next play, he did throw an interception. So now the Bengals and Joe Burrow had the ball. And Joe Burrow did not disappoint. He got the Bengals down to the Chiefs' 13-yard line before he set up their rookie kicker, Evan McPherson, for a game-winning 31-yard field goal, sending the Chiefs home and the Bengals to the Super Bowl for the first time since 1988 with a chance to win their first championship game in franchise history. How about that? The Bengals won 27-24, and it was the third time that the Bengals were in the AFC Championship game. They have won all three of those games, but they've never won the Super Bowl. That's a fact! They got the chance! Cincinnati's in the Super Bowl! As Xander did not predict, sadly. However, I'm okay with it, because... Bengals are a good team to root for. So, that's the AFC Championship game. Let's go to the NFC Championship game. It was a rivalry matchup between the 49ers and the Rams at the site of this year's Super Bowl in Los Angeles. San Francisco was looking for their seventh straight win against the Rams after they swept the two regular season matchups, and they were well on their way in this game. A third-quarter touchdown to their tight end, George Kittle, gave the 49ers a 17-7 lead, but it was the last we would hear anything from the 49ers offense because the Rams, their quarterback Matthew Stafford, their offense, they went to work in the fourth quarter. Cooper Cup, their wide receiver, got a second touchdown pass of the day in the first two minutes of the quarter, and their kicker, Matt Gay, hit a 40-yard field goal with 6.49 left. That tied the game. So with the pressure on the 49ers, they went three and out, and they had to punt on the next drive, with Stafford leading the Rams down to the 12-yard line, giving their kicker, Matt Gay, a 30-yard field goal to give LA the lead. So then, the Rams, with their first lead since the early second quarter, had the lead with 146 left in the game. So, 49ers had a chance to respond. Their quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, threw a pick on the third play of the drive, and that sealed the deal because the 49ers didn't have enough timeouts. The Rams won. They are going to their second Super Bowl in four years after beating the 49ers 20-17. to And that was the fifth time this season that the Rams have beaten a team that ended up finishing the season with 10 or more wins, which is the same number of wins that their quarterback, Matthew Stafford, had 
against those teams in his entire career with the Detroit Lions. It's a fact. The other team, Los Angeles, the Rams, are in the Super Bowl. So, there you have it. This year's Super Bowl matchup is set. It is the Cincinnati Bengals and the Los Angeles Rams. Big game alert. It is going to be played at SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California. It is the second time ever that a team playing in the Super Bowl is playing in their home stadium. Of course, the last time it happened was last year with the Buccaneers. However, unlike the Bucks last year, the Rams are not designated the home team because that distinction actually flips between conferences each year. Last year, the NFC was the home team. This year, it's the AFC. So the Bengals are actually the home team, so they get to choose the jerseys that they're going to wear for the game first, but the Rams will still be in their home locker room at SoFi Stadium, and the Rams will be the road team, so they get to call the coin toss to start the game, and potentially if there's overtime. So, hmm, interesting. But to get to the big game, both of these teams had to overcome double-digit deficits in their conference championship games. And you're probably thinking, well, that's probably the first time that's ever happened. Actually, it's not, because it has happened before. In 1998, the Falcons overcame a double-digit deficit to the Vikings, and the Broncos did the same to the Jets to advance to this big game. It's the truth. It is going to be a great game in two weeks with lots of storylines, intrigue. Both of these teams have been playing phenomenal over the last few weeks, over the season. And it's also incredible that Cincinnati is in the Super Bowl the year after they finished the season with a 4-11-1 record. And it has been quite a year for the city of Cincinnati because the University of Cincinnati, the Bearcats, they were the first group of five teams to make the college football playoff semifinals. And now the Bengals are in the Super Bowl. And all of Cincinnati's public schools have said already there will be no school after the Super Bowl, which should be the case for everybody. Doesn't matter the city, everybody in the country. It should be a national holiday. That's what I think. Or played on a Saturday. I don't know. Sanders facts. But last week, I went one and one on my picks. I got the Bengals wrong, but I got the Rams right, so that's 50%. So the early record is 180 wins, 106 losses, with a 63% winning percentage with only one game left. And I'm not picking it right now. Next week, you got to tune in next week to episode 53 of this podcast for our Super Bowl preview show. It's going to be amazing. Get ready for it. Xander's facts. I didn't ask that. So that's what happened on the field. But there have been a couple of storylines of what's going on off the field in the NFL too, namely Tom Brady. Tom Brady, the quarterback of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, officially announced on Tuesday that he is retiring at the age of 45 from the National Football League. He is done. It was reported, though, on Saturday by Adam Schefter and Jeff Darlington of ESPN that he was going to retire. However, Brady's camp basically came out and refuted those ports and said he hasn't made a decision. And then on Monday, Tom Brady hosts a weekly podcast that came out on Monday. He said he was still not decided. But then everything comes out on Tuesday. He has an Instagram post. He writes all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. So Tom Brady's done. So he's retired, finally, at 45 years old. Everyone else in the league was like, thank goodness. But that was one story. The other story that broke on Tuesday was also very interesting because it was revealed on Tuesday that Brian Flores, who was the former head coach of the Miami Dolphins, filed a lawsuit 
against the NFL, the New York Giants, the Denver Broncos, and the Miami Dolphins alleging racial discrimination. Flores was the head coach of the Dolphins. He was fired after the season, even though Dolphins did okay. And he says in the lawsuit that the New York Giants interviewed him for their vacant head coaching job under disingenuous circumstances as Flores had found out three days before his interview that the Giants had already decided to hire Brian Dable, who was the Bills offensive coordinator, who they have since hired. How did he find that out? Because it has been revealed his text messages, Brian Flores, to Bill Belichick. Apparently, Bill Belichick texts, which is amazing. But Bill Belichick texted Brian Flores congratulations about the Giants job and Flores was like well I'm interviewing them on Thursday and then Bill Belichick was like oh I meant to send those texts to Brian Dable not Brian Flores and Brian Flores responds thanks Bill oh my gosh oh so Flores alleges in his lawsuit that his interview with the Giants was a ruse so that the team could demonstrate falsely to league commissioner Roger Goodell and the public at large that it was in compliance with the Rooney rule, which requires all teams to interview at least two minority coaching candidates for their head coaching positions. So there you go. That's obviously, we're just getting details about this here on Tuesday evening, but that's obviously going to be a story for a little while. And it's probably going to be something that we revisit on this podcast. But that's all I've got to talk about this week on the Zaders Facts Podcast. That is episode 52, the one-year anniversary of the Zaders Facts Podcast. It is all done. Thank you all for listening. And remember, if you liked all the facts that were on the podcast this week, if you've liked all the facts that have been on for the previous year on this podcast, Click the follow button on this podcast, download this episode, episode 52, rate the podcast five stars, review the podcast, nice things, and then go on all your socials, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Xander's Facts, that's Xander with a Z, go heart, like all the posts, stories, whatever, and then tell all your friends about the Xander's Facts podcast. Spread the facts! Xander's Facts podcast, one year anniversary. And remember, our two big announcements from earlier in the podcast... Go check out Xander's Facts on YouTube. That should be launching Wednesday afternoon. The first episode, this episode, is going to be on YouTube so you can listen to the podcast and look at some nice background on your TV, your phone, wherever. And then you can go to the special link that is linked in this episode's description and sign up for Xander's Weekend Facts so you can get Xander's Weekend Facts in your inbox every Sunday morning beginning February 13th. It's going to be awesome. Xander's Facts Podcast, Xander's Facts YouTube, Xander's Weekend Facts. Next week is episode 53 of the podcast. We, of course, have the Super Bowl preview. We're going to talk all about the big game. Bengals, Rams, who's going to win? Xander's going to tell you. And we've got an updated look at the college basketball season because we haven't talked about college basketball in forever since the beginning of the season, my preview. And that has not turned out... uh, Well, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about all those things next week on the podcast, episode 53. But that is it. That is a wrap on episode 52 of the Zaders Facts podcast, the one-year anniversary of the facts. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see y'all with episode 53 next week.
Congratulations.